Now, go back with me to um, Romans chapter 12, and let me, um, let me introduce to you something that, that I think is very important. And um, um, for one very major reason, and, and we'll go over that tonight. Last week we looked at verse 9. Uh, I want to read to you just verse 10 as we, um, as we return to our study of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hey guys, um, uh, we're going to come back to this text next week again. But there's, there's, there's one thing in it that I want you to see tonight that's going to introduce a whole, a whole um, um, world of thought, which may be new to some of you. In fact, probably is new to many of you. I want you to notice in verse 10, there is something that's repeated. Love one another. Outdo one another. Guys, um, that little couplet, <clears throat> one another, has led some to write books. I, I've got one entitled One Anothering. Um, I, I didn't do great hours of masterful research, but I did do a little. And um, just took a concordance and, and, uh, and tried to look up one another. Uh, you, that wasn't mentioned, but one was, or that is one, the word one was found, and it must be eight pages of references to the word one. But you, you pick out the, the one anothering or the one another's in there. I have listed here probably 40 instances of the one another couplet found in in the New Testament. <clears throat> I won't read you all of them <clears throat> because some of them are repetitive. For instance, in the book of 1 John, uh, th- that is found one, two, three, four, five, six times, but it all says the same thing, love one another. So I'm not going to read you all of those. Uh, there's, there's several instances where you're, where you're exhorted to love one another. One is found in Romans 13 um, here. Another one's found in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. But let me just show you the number of times that the New Testament mentions the whole idea of one anothering. Stay with me. Just, just This won't take long. You find, of course, it mentioned twice in our text tonight. In verse 16 of the same um, uh, chapter, we're told to live in harmony with one another. In Romans 13, 8, we are told to love one another. In chapter 14, verse 13, we're told not to pass judgment upon one another. In Romans 15, 5, we are told to live in harmony. In in chapter 15, verse 7, we are told to welcome one another. In chapter 15, verse 14, we are told to instruct one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we are told to bear one another's burdens. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, we are told that we are bearing with one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we're told to be kind to one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, 21, we're told to submit to one another. In Colossians 3, verse 9, we're told do not lie to one another. In Colossians 3, 13, we're told bearing with one another, forgiving one another. In Colossians 3, verse 16, we're told that we are told to admonish one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, we're told to abound in love for one another. 
I'm not going to mention all the times that it, we're told to love one another, but it appears again in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. In 4.18, we're told to encourage one another. That's repeated in 5.11. In James chapter 4, verse 11, we're told to do not speak evil of one another. In James chapter 5, verse 9, we're told to do not grumble against one another. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we're told to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another. In 1 Peter 1.22, we're told to love one another. In 1 Peter 4.9, we're told to show hospitality to one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're told to serve one another. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 15, we're told to, in humility, to serve one another or in humility towards one another. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14, we're told to, this is an interesting one, greet each other, one another with a holy kiss. That's found six or seven times in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting. John, uh, Jonathan Edwards, in his book on uh, thoughts about revival, uh, landed on this greet one another with a holy kiss and talked about how it had caused problems in the Christian church. So we've kind of eliminated that one. But we are told in First um, Peter chapter 5, verse 14, to greet one another with a kiss. In First John chapter 1, verse 7, 3, verse 11, 3, 23, 4, 7, 4, 11, 4, 12, we're told to uh, love one another. And in Second John chapter 5, we're told to love one another. In uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 50, we're told to be at peace with one another. In John chapter 13, verse 4, we're told to wash one another's feet. Now, that's a cursory, I, I didn't spend great, huge amounts of time finding that. But I have listed for you, uh, I, I, I might be off a little bit, but 23 different functions, different duties uh, to which we are enjoined by the New Testament that we are to perform to one another. Leading some to write books entitled, one anothering. Now, guys, having made that, or having pointed that out to you, there are some implications. What are the implications of the somewhere around 60 injunctions with 23 different ones, 60 times in the New Testament that we are told to do things for or with one another? What are the implications of all of those injunctions? I want to point out three tonight. Um, here's the first one. With all of these injunctions to do things one anothering, first of all, the first implication is you can't do that in your bathrobe or on a couch with a cup of coffee in your hand. What I'm saying is, the whole idea of trying to conduct your, your spiritual life on television at home is denounced by the New Testament. It's, an, it's denounced in other ways in Hebrews chapter 12 um, uh, or chapter 13, but it is a very clear implication that you cannot obey some 23 different injunctions if you are not a part of some kind of local expression of the body of Christ. You can't one another... When you're lying on your couch in your bathroom drinking coffee, there's nobody to one another. Um, now, um, which, which leads me to take another tangent, which will offend, I'm sure. But um, some of you have been a part of a Christian community, or at least a casual part of a Christian community, for low how many years and have never made yourself a member of that community. Well, Jimmy, do I have to really become a member of a church? Do I really have to join a church? 
I want to answer that question by telling you a story. Um, I want to tell you how I single-handedly killed the singles ministry here at Gracie Van. I'm going to tell you the story how I did that, how I accomplished that with one, with a collection of two or three sentences. Well, maybe more sentences than that, but how I effectively sh- shut down a ministry here at Gracie Van. I want to tell you that story. You know, uh, before uh, Gracie Van was started, I was on staff at Central Church doing singles. I did singles for six years and loved it. It was six of the happiest of my years in, in ministry. <clears throat> it was simple. It was, uh, it was, you didn't have to, anyway, it was, it was, I loved it. But when Gracie Van started, uh, I determined that we were going to maintain a singles ministry, which we did. And at least up to 97, we started in 91, so at least for six years. I can remember it was in 97 because I was, <coughs> just trust me, it was in 97. So at least for six years um, that we had a singles ministry. It, uh, we met primarily in the home of Mickey and Michelle Hill uh, out on Rocky Point out there. And we would have uh, easily every Tuesday night we had 85. Sometimes we had over 100 singles. Bob and Joanne was there every night. We had a flourishing group of singles that came to a Bible study every Tuesday night. Now, um, if you don't know anything about singles... One of the one of the earmarks of the singles world is their 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 commitment phobia. They have uh, particularly the males. That you know you see it on the television, you see it in the commercials that men have uh, you know fear of commitments. Um, you know the guy with the Bud Light and all that business. But um, um, you know they 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 feel caged in and and you know I I can't get out of this thing and so they have this uh, this commitment phobia. It's easier to stay single. And indeed it is easier to stay single. But gang, commitment is, is a door to freedom. Um, in terms of a meaningful, deeply meaningful relationship with another member of the op- uh, with a member of the opposite sex, you will never have that as a single person. You will never enjoy not just sexual liberties. You'll never enjoy the kind of meaningful relationship until you enter this thing called marriage and put yourself uh, in some kind of, <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll put it, I'll say it like this, put yourself under some kind of bondage, a bondage that leads to freedom. And so, um, you know, these singles, they would come to this Bible study and they would moan and groan and complain about not being married and yada, 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 and they went on and on and on. And, and so finally, um, I did this little series on, on relationships and at the end of the, the series on relationships, here's how I killed the singles ministry at Grace Evangelical Church. Here's what I told them. I said, you need to stop coming to this Bible study and get back to your church and get involved and start practicing commitment. Go back to your church. Don't come to our Bible study. Go to your own church's Bible study. Don't, don't be trying to pick over here and pick, just like you do in dating. You know, I want to take this girl to here and I want to go over there with that guy. And I want to, yada, yada. Go back and find yourself a church. Get yourself involved in your church. Sink yourself. You know, you know this uh, poker craze that's on the ESPN, and and you know they'll they'll look at their little cards, you know, and and then all of a sudden they'll say, "I'm all in." I said, "Go back to your church and get all in." And then through that through that 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 act of commitment, you um you can practice the kind of commitment you're going to need to marriage. Well, ladies and gentlemen. They listened to me. <laughs> and thus, I killed the singles ministry by, by telling people <clears throat> that they needed to be committed to something. Guys, here's my point in all that. 
I think there's a very similar phobia that exists about church membership. Um, my friends, if you do your job in praying through, that is, begging God to lead you, um, praying and seeking His counsel and His wisdom, then for heaven's sakes, commit yourself to something. You are doing with churches what singles do with relationships. They want to dabble in them so that they can get the best of all the worlds. Find yourself something and commit yourself to it. And through that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm saying that spiritual depth is on the horizon. Or at least it's more possible when you commit yourself to something. It is the door of a meaningful church involvement. That is, commitment is a is a door of meaningful church involvement. But I'm saying this, ladies and gentlemen, to say this. If you stay on the periphery, there are some 26 exhortations in the New Testament that you will never perform. You will never perform them. One anothering exhortations. Because you're afraid to commit yourself to something that might not include all every little particle that meets all of your consumeristic needs. Guys, um, I, I would plead with singles to go find and commit yourself to a woman and there is the door to, to relational freedom. And I'm saying to you, based on these one anothering commands, I'm saying that one of the ramifications is find yourself a church and throw yourself at it. Make sure that uh, you have looked for God's leadership, that you have prayed, that you have saw, that you have found out where the uh, the theological ins and outs are. But once you've done that, ladies and gentlemen, throw yourself at it, all in, and get to some of these commands that are being ignored because you're still in the periphery. You're still you're still testing <clears throat> the dating waters. Stop dating when it comes to your relationship to a church, and get married. Um, that's one of the ramifications of all of these one anothering commands that I just uh, tried to point out. Now, here's the, the second implication, and, and here's the one that I'm, that I'm most concerned about. Guys, um, you and I live in one of the most individualistic cultures ever in the history of mankind. And, and I'm afraid that we f- greatly underestimate the, the power of community for character, for character development and character formation. These one anothering commands are included in the scriptures because in their, in their, in their functioning, in their happening, the character, the Christian character is developed. If we did things like exhort one another and confess our sins to one another and, and uh, abound in love to one another and show hospitality to one another and bearing with one another and, and not passing judgment on, and living in heart, if we did some of those things, we would find a greater degree of character development. And we vastly underestimate the, the, the power of community, the power of Christian community in the, in the development of our Christian, of our spiritual character or, or spiritual formation. Guys, your beliefs, your belief system, 
I know you don't like to hear this. I know you don't like to admit this. But they are far more the product of relationships than they are reason. We like to think that we've come to our theological conclusions because we've reasoned these things through, that we've thought them all through, and we, we've come to the truth while, as we've wrestled with the pros and the cons. We don't like to admit that our belief system is far more the result and the product of relationships than they are reason. Guys, um, we find our beliefs so much more plausible if they are taught by people we like and who like us back. Our belief systems are so much more, our beliefs are so much more plausible when they are taught to us by people that we admire and they admire us back. Um, these, you know, there, there are people who say from time to time, bless God, who, who uh, I mean, not oceans and oceans of people, but time to time, People say to us, um, sometimes to me, sometimes to other staff members, they'll say, you know, being involved with Grace Event has changed my life. Now, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by saying Grace Event has changed my life? Um, <laughs> well, let me tell you what they don't mean. Um, they don't mean that by attending the services on Sunday morning and, and being a part of the programs, that that has changed my life. Guys, what, they, what they're pointing to, whether they realize it or not, is that they found themselves in a community where things have begun to be, they have begun to be shaped by the, by the company that they keep, their primary social community. It's in those relationships where counsel is given and, and rebuke is made and, and, and uh, things are taught and things are confirmed and things are overturned. Guys, um, all this one-anothering stuff that's included in the New Testament cannot be done out there. It's done. It's done better in here, but it's not even done in here. It's done in that long process of iron sharpening iron and relationships, um, bending us and conforming us and making us and, and, and confronting us as we find people, um, that are like-minded and help us think through things and wrestle through things. Guys, if the main way that you experience church, any church, is there, then you may get inspired. You may feel better, but actually not be better. Um, because, guys, it's in community. It's in relationships where character formation occurs. That's what this is all reflective of, all these one-anothering things. It's The implication is that the way that we are made into the image of Christ is via these one anothering these relationship things that are going on. We essentially become like the people that we hang out with. And guys, that is reflected in the New Testament in, in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. You, you've heard this before, you probably, it says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. If you choose to run in bad company, morals will be corrupted. But on the other hand, 
if you choose another company, then then good morals occur. It your the, the whole shaping of the spiritual character occurs in your primary social community. The people to whom you open your heart, there is no deep character change apart from community. That's what all this one-anothering business is about, folks. None of that goes on until you commit yourself to something. And part of that commitment is there are going to be relationships that I'm going to build to which I'm going to open my heart and expose myself. On the periphery, you don't have to do that. And the thing that suffers is the whole development of the Christian character. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that we vastly underestimate the power of Christian community to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. And I think my point is being made for me when I point out to you that there's 23 different exhortations to one another in the Christian community. And some 60 times it is found in the New Testament to do things one anotheringly. If you, if you hang out and continue to hold your cards close to the vest, character formation is at best slowed down. All in, ladies and gentlemen. All in. It's the way that you, it's the, it's the advice that you need to give to a single man or woman if they want to find liberty. It's the advice that you need to give to people who are, who are dabbling in church work and dabbling in church life. Guys, don't forget, I've told you this, this section, this Romans 12, is Paul's theology of the church. He's giving you his theology of the church. And we looked at that, that body um, uh, illustration, you know, the, the church is a body like this body. What I'm saying to you is perfectly consistent with that whole body illustration. Gang, there are no part-time body parts. Anything that's a body part is all in. And, and for this character transformation to take place, that's what it takes. That's one of the impl- that's the second implication of the, the, the frequency with which the New Testament admonishes us to one another, to one another, to one another. Now, having said that, uh, I, I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is nothing more important. Um, let me back up. Given the fact that you are in the context of truth, there is nothing more important to the development of your Christian character than these one-anothering things taking place that are happening in Christian community that requires a commitment on your part to move all in. That's when, that's when things... That's the people who say to us, this church has changed my life. All right, now, having said that, here's my third implication. 
if Christian community is that important, and I think it is, and I think it's, I think that that assertion is supported by all of this one anothering that's going on in the New Testament. If Christian community is that important, then anyone who damages it is inviting God's greatest displeasure. Guys, one of the reasons I made my little plea on Sunday morning is this. Um, you know, I made a little joke about you never talk about money when money's, you know, Bill Seeley says never talk about money when money's short. And, and so you always talk about money when there's lots of money. And so you never talk about church division in the midst of church division. You always talk about church division when there's no church division. And there's no church division. There's, there's, there's nothing but harmony here. And, and that is, I mean, the elders get along, the staff gets along, and most of the people get along. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, if I just could be allowed, and I hope, I hope they won't mind me doing this. I'm not going to name names, but I'm telling you, no one, no Christian should have to go through what people from Germantown Baptist Church went through. No one should have to go through that. Um, every time somebody visits this church from Germantown Baptist Church, the first thing that I say to them is, I'm so sorry. Not, sorry that you went to Germany on Baptist. It was a wonderful church. I'm sorry that they had to taste what they tasted. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not benefit one iota from my teaching and preaching. But I'm telling you this. I am a lion when it comes to protecting the peace and the purity of Grace Evangelical Church. I, I guess I'm going to have to depend on you to help me do that. I wish that others in this congregation get to hear this, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you listen to me. Christian community is the thing that is entrusted to us to help form us into the image of Jesus Christ. So, if anybody tampers with that, if anybody seeks to damage that, you are inviting God's severest displeasure upon yourself. Shall I prove that for you? I want to show you, um, if you've got a Bible and you can find Proverbs real quick, there's several places that I want you to see this, but Proverbs chapter 3, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 6. It begins in verse 16. We're not going to take it. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, uh, seven that are an abomination to him. Then skip down to verse 19. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, guys, the, the only part of the Bible that we believe is not John 3.16 or Romans 9 or Ephesians 1. We believe Proverbs chapter 6, too. And this text says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, that there are seven things that God hates. And then he talks about things. Things. A lying tongue, haughty eyes, that, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get down to verse 9. A false witness who breathes out lies. I want you to notice in the B part of verse 19, he's not talking about a thing. He's talking about a person. And one who sows discord among brothers. Do you see that? There are six things the Lord hates, yea, a seventh, and one of those seven is a person. 
It's a person who sows discord among brothers. My friend, if that is you, here's my message for you. God hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. That is right out of this text, ladies and gentlemen. That is not hyperbole. That is not an overstatement. There are six things, yea, a seventh, that the Lord hates. And one of those things that He hates is that anyone who would be so presumptuous as to try and rob God's people of harmony and peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we ought to combat that like it was cancer. Because it is. It doesn't exist here at this moment. But you know what? Tomorrow's a different day. I, I'm saying that the, all of this one-anothering business that's supposed to be go on, it, to go on grinds to a halt when God's people... I mean... I, I mean, I hope this is not taking advantage. I, I don't. I don't want to. But I wonder how much of this was going on when the fight was going on in some local churches, abounding in love for one another, encouraging one another, do not speak evil of one another, do not grumble against one another, show hospitality. Do you think any of that goes on? No, it doesn't, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't. And and the scripture. I, I, I'm not done. Um, uh, do you know the, the passage in, 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 in Jesus is dealing with little children? Um, it, it's found three times in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 18 where Jesus says, um, uh, but whoever, he receives one child in name, my name receives, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to give a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now guys, this is found two other times in the New Testament. It's found in Mark 9 and in Luke 17. And in neither of those contexts, in Mark and Luke, is the idea of little children included. I'm simply saying in, in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about little children. But when it's included by Mark and when it's included by Luke, none of them are talking about little children. He says, if you cause some of God's little ones to stumble, it is better for you to hang a millstone around your neck and walk into the sea. Because don't you dare damage my people. Don't you dare. And if you're going to, then let's just find a nice lake and drop you in there with a millstone around your neck. Now, you might, you might accuse Jesus of hyperbole, but I'm not guilty. I'm simply reading you what the text says. I'll show you one more. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Uh, I gotta hurry. Um, verse, verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Whoa! You warn him once, 
You warn him twice, and then you treat him like a leper. You, you get rid of that. Because, ladies and gentlemen, a happy environment for God's people to grow is very valued by Jesus Christ. Gang, you do not know how important it is for you to be in a happy church. You don't know how important it is. You have the possibility of growing in, in Christ-likeness. When it's not there, you're done. We're all done. Now, one other text, and I'll quit. I want you to go to John chapter 13. With this, we'll stop. Um, this is right after Jesus has washed their feet and all that business, and it's the last night of his life. It's in the upper room, that last meal. And, and he says this in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Before I read verse 35, let me tell you a quick story. When I was in seminary, there was a guy by the name of T.J. Mercer. And T.J. Mercer was kind of the, um, uh, he kind of fixed everything. When people when things broke down on the seminary campus, you just called T.J. and he'd come over. And the seminary paid him. We didn't pay him. I mean, if you had, if you, you know, if you're, I mean, we, I can't go into that. But, I mean, T.J. fixed everything. I mean, he could fix the world if it broke down. And, and um, uh, he was a senior and I was a, a first-year guy and, and um and, and at our seminary, you had to preach what you call the senior sermon. And it was called the senior sacrifice. Because they'd, you'd get up there and you'd preach and then uh, for 30 minutes. And then they'd take the next 30 minutes and all the faculty would critique you in front of the whole student body. And they called it senior sacrifice. It was bloody. Well, one day, T.J. Mercer, it was his turn, and this was his text. Verse 34 and 35, John 13, 35. And I remember the guy that was the bloodiest. He was the meanest. He had the most acerbic tongue. His name was Bodie. Richard Bodie, Professor Richard Bodie. He was a little shroud up little man that, I mean, he would just whittle into people. You know, just, it was in, we all went because it was so entertaining. <laughs> uh, you know, we wanted to see, you know, oh yeah. When TJ got through with this text, Richard Bodie stood up and he said this. There are some texts that you have no right to preach until you have earned your right to preach them. Mr. Mercer has earned his right to preach from John 13, 34. Ladies and gentlemen, read on with me. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for, there it is again, one another. Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. By this distinctive, Will the world know that we belong to Jesus Christ as we display love for one another? You tamper with that and you are tampering with the Lord of glory. My friends, we have a precious gift that God has granted us. Protected.
Our Father, I, I do pray that you will stir up warriors over this very item. That we would that we would tolerate division among us like we would tolerate cancer of the liver. That we would so deflect it and stomp it out that it would never get another audience. Thank you, O oh God, that up to this point, after 19 years, there's the sweetest of harmony here at Grace of Anne. It's not because Jimmy Young's a genius nor anybody else. It's because you have seen fit to grant us that sweet, that sweet taste of peace, an environment in which your people can flourish and grow, an environment in which we can do the one anothering so necessary to character formation. And so, Lord, set us free, cut us loose to go about the work of being a body where we're mutually respectful, mutually interdependent, mutually needed, so that we can find ourselves growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, for... All of your good gifts, we're grateful. But tonight, specifically, we mention unity. And we bless you for it. Be glorified, O God. Might the world know that those folks over there, as goofy as they are at Gracie Van, that they belong to Jesus as they watch us relate one to the other. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.